In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Morning, Jack. How are you, mate? I'm good. What was Hard Knocks like? Mate, it was, um, it was good, mate. A lot better than the last one, I thought. Um, you know the uh, Mayfield um, video he did? Yep. But there's actually like uh, a couple more scenes of, of, of different things going on. So um, Blake uh, Jackson did this, um, took the mickey out of uh, Landry. <laughs> and, mate, it was hilarious, mate. Absolutely hilarious. Um, it was the scene when he, he he came in the change room and he was giving everyone a hard time. Basically, um, he uh, he dressed up and injured like with like no uh, no legs, and you had uh, Todd Haley shouting at him, going, "Come on, come on, faster!" And he's like, can hardly walk. And uh, it, it was basically taking Mickey out of Landry. It was very good. Uh, there was also a scene with um, Orchard and. Nasib and Caduce, I think, mate, they're all they're all geared up, Game of Thrones style. One of them to be cut, mate. I so it's one of them to be cut. Um, actually, all three of them could be cut. But yeah, Nate Orchard and Caduce wouldn't surprise me. Nasib would be a bigger surprise, but let's see what happens. I think the Nasib thing, he's looking quite positive now. Um, but that could be like the Game of Thrones style cut coming up. So yeah. watch your space. Yeah, it's a shame they don't do that uh, last show live when the 53-man cutdown's happening because wow. the trouble is you see all the news who's got cut and then it is the best episode of Hard Knocks is when the cutdown happens. But unfortunately, we won't be able to see it live because we'll already know who's cut. Yeah, mate. Um, Chuck, uh, the, that quarterback in there as well, them four players are all geared up to be cut. Or survived. So uh, um, Healy and uh, Landry, um, Healy goes in big style. Uh, you know that play what you were talking about last time in the corner, one yard off. Oh yeah, where Landry just gave up twice. He ran into his own receiver, was calling for a flag, rather than just getting on with it and getting a touchdown. It's just a prima donna there. Yeah, Healy goes at him. Uh, it's great. And it also features uh, Garrett, uh, Josh Gordon, Tyrell Taylor. They all get a good, uh, good bits. Baker, your boy. Um, some great uh, scenes from him in the game. And uh, yeah, he comes across really well. And then he gets loads and loads of sacks. So uh, anyway, mate, uh, well worth a, a watch. And uh, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you a shout later on. No worries. Have a good one. Alright buddy, got a good uh, show with uh, Doug to put on the back of this as well. Good morning Cleveland. I'm here with my co-host Jack. Jack, how are you mate? I'm good, looking forward to this one. It was the first ever podcast I listened to. It was when he had Pete Smith and Jake Burns on last season. And uh, does a fantastic job. Great guest to have. And we've got the one and only... Doug Lemarise. D- uh, Doug, did I pronounce that correct? That was really good. That was really good. Good. I'm guessing French. French surname. French Canadian. 
Yeah, my dad is, uh, my dad was from New Hampshire, and so my people at some point came down um, to the sawmills of New Hampshire from the sawmills of Quebec, oh, and wow. so that's a French-Canadian name. Okay, great. And uh, have you spent any time in Europe at all? Uh, not a ton of time. I covered the 2012 Olympics in London, so oh, wow. I think I was there for 16 days for that. And uh, that was one of the great experiences of my life. And then I did uh, a couple uh, in high school. I did a family trip and a school trip to uh, various countries in Europe. Okay, excellent. And how did the Olympics compare to uh, American uh, sports? It was the best thing ever. Okay. I mean, I think it, it, it was the idea that it's a million sports in one, that the whole world is there, um, that there are people who have dedicated their whole lives to one minute of action or three minutes of action or 10 seconds of action. Um, I think almost everything else pales in comparison. You know, I mean, if, if, if Tom Brady got to play in the Super Bowl and then he had to wait four years till there was another Super Bowl, you know, and when he played in the Super Bowl, he wasn't just, you know, he was playing against, you know, Japan and Iran and, Germany and England and Mexico. I mean, it's it's unlike anything else. I mean, everybody knows what the Olympics is, but to be there um, is is unlike anything I've ever experienced personally or professionally. Yeah, I was actually working in the uh, Olympic Park in the Champagne and Seafood Restaurant for the whole of the Olympics and Paralympic Games. So uh, I was about there every day, other than one. The one day I missed was Super Saturday when England went and won everything. And oh God. I probably would not have seen you because I don't think my company would have paid for me to uh, drink champagne. I was in the Diet Coke and hamburger restaurant, but I don't know who was working there. <laughs> All right, great. And uh, staying focused on the uh, NFL. Um, so, Doug, are you actually a Browns fan? I am not. Um, I'm not from Ohio originally. I grew up in Pennsylvania, so as a kid, I grew up following the Philadelphia pro sports teams. Yeah. But I've done this long enough as a sports writer that I like interesting teams. I'd rather cover an interesting team than a boring team. I don't think interesting and good is the same thing. Um, so I think the Browns are very interesting. But when I when I watch the Browns, I, I don't. I have zero percent rooting interest. I'm just curious to see what happens. Okay, cool. And uh, I ask all my guests this. Who would you uh, like to go for a, a drink with in the Browns organization? Who who most? I mean, can I say Sashi, or is that not allowed? I'm afraid like, said Jack's celebrating here. You <laughs> said this, uh, but I'm going to say that's not allowed. It's got to be someone who's currently the in the uh, current organization. I want to know the real deal secrets from Sashi. He's out, so now he can tell us how it really went down. Um, the people there now. Um, Probably maybe Baker Mayfield, maybe maybe Paul De Podesta, maybe Miles Garrett. I think Miles Garrett is a fascinating. It's it's great interest it's, off the field. Uh, he's got a scientific brain. He's got a creative brain. Um, I, I think I would enjoy sitting down with Miles Garrett. I think he must have listened to the podcast where we discussed this because he ran off my top three there with Sashi, with Paul De Podesta, and with Baker. So uh, we're on nice. the same wavelength. So we're doing well. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's an interesting group. Again, I, th I, th I think it's 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure how good they're going to be, but I think they're an interesting group. Okay, great. And th this this question is going to be absolutely irrelevant for you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? Uh, maybe like a fingernail. Okay. I bite my fingernails anyway, so I can probably spare it. I don't know. I'd cut your arm off if it would help. I don't know if that would would do any good. But uh, yeah, I, I need. I don't need all my body parts. I probably have a few extraneous ones, but I need most of them. So I will. Uh, I will have to keep them. All right. Excellent. Now, thanks a lot, Doug. This is a Hugh Jackson Pro Show. Hugh, what have you got to say? It's funny, what? Ain't nothing like pro football, man. Nothing like it. Here's the thing I really wanted to get you on to talk about, the role of analytics in the NFL. Obviously, you do a fantastic job with the Takes by the Lakes podcast, which covers a lot of these topics, but what role do you think analytics has in the NFL moving forward? Well, I had uh, I had Ben Ryder on my podcast a couple weeks ago, who is a baseball writer who wrote a book about the Houston Astros and how they won the World Series. Um, using analytics, using a tank and rebuild approach. And in his book and on, our, on the podcast, he, he did a very good job, I think, describing how you need to meld analytics with other things, with, with sort of having a little bit of gut feeling, with having a little bit of, a, of an idea of the personalities of the players that you're drafting. Um, but, but I just think I think analytics needs to be a big part of that. I think it is. I think there's been a lot of consternation in Cleveland about it when, when actually all NFL teams use it to some extent and some use it um, to a great extent. Um, so I think it's really important. And, and, but really, you know, when I think about Sashi Brown, the, I think the main part of it that he brought to me beyond the analytics, because... Um, I know analytics, just that discussion scares some people away, but the idea that you were willing to tank, and they refuse to call it that, but that there's so many um, football guys, and I use that term not necessarily in a positive way, so many football guys who just think, I got to go out there, you're going to win every Sunday, <laughs> you'll put your body, it's like, come on, man, like you stink. Like have a have a an approach to this that looks beyond the end of your nose, and I think it took someone who was willing to say the Browns have been awful. We're gonna be awful, but we're gonna be terrible with a purpose. And he didn't have to do that with analytics. You could have had football guys drafting off, you know, the vibe they get from players. But if you were willing to do that, that's the main thing to me with the Browns is we see where they are. But it took somebody in charge willing to say, we're not going to care about winning four games instead of one because we're going to look big picture. And I don't think that's analytics. I think that's just common sense being smart. Um, but that, to me, is his lasting legacy, even beyond the analytics. Because the analytics is still here. Andrew Barry's still here. Paul Podesta is still here. Um, but you have football guys in charge now 
who, who would never sacrifice a win on a Sunday for anything down the line. And it's good for them. The Browns are at the point where they don't have to do that because Sashi already did it. So his legacy is being willing to suck it up and lose for a bigger purpose to me. Do you think Paul D. Podesta's got a long-term future? Because there was all the talk that as soon as the draft happened, he'd be out the building um, and then he's still there. Is it long-term or are they going to force him out when they get a chance? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it might be that he'll, he'll stay as long as he wants. Maybe he'll want to do something else. Maybe he'll want to go um, do something where, where he has more of a final say. I think just, you know, he's not around that much, I think. I think he consults. You, you could see on Hard Knocks the other week, um, there was an analytics guy in there with John Dorsey. It wasn't Paul DePodesta. I think it was Andrew Keeley's his name or something like that. But, like, when they were running down, like, available receivers, he had a list of receivers. And John Dorsey, you know, football players on this. It's like, you know, I get it. At least they're looking at the list, right? At least they're having a guy. They have guys in the building who can give them lists. So I'm glad they have guys like DePodesta and other guys around to build them lists. I'm not sure how much they're going to read them going forward, but – I don't. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know that Deep Podesta is going to have a gigantic role going forward. Um, but I think some of it will be up to him. Yeah, it did feel like in hard knocks. I don't know if it's just the way it came across. Like the analytics guy was like, "Well, here's all the better players," and uh, Dorsey seemed to be just chasing the name of like, "Oh, Des Bryant is." It sounds exciting. And then the right. argument over his age, I thought, was hilarious. Of someone looking at a statistical argument and someone going from the point of view that a day before you're thirty you're still 29 and it's exactly the right. same as being 29 all year. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you, you can just tell the difference. That's fine. I get it. You know, they are where they are. And I think Dorsey's done some good things, but, um, Browns fans and the Browns as an organization, you can't be afraid of information. And so that's all analytics is. It's just information. And in general, I think information is better than gut because gut is basically luck and everybody gets lucky sometimes. And if you get lucky two or three times in a row, then all of a sudden you're a football guy who has a nose for football players and you get a job when actually you were just lucky the whole time. And eventually your luck runs out. Interesting. Uh, a question for uh, both you two, actually, uh, starting with you, uh, Doug. What are your best three Sashi moments? So obviously I think the, the whether it was a purposeful or accidental sabotage of the A.J. McCarron trade, um, that's one thing that I think all Browns fans are in agreement upon, especially when you saw A.J. McCarron in that preseason game with the Bills. And it was like, this could have been the guy. <laughs> Second and third rounder. That's what Hugh wanted to do. Desperate Hugh. So um, that I think was good. And, and, and I think there's dispute on one of these other moves. The idea that he traded in the 2017 draft, he traded um, the number 12 pick. And you trade down, right? You trade down. Because you traded down in the 20s to take Jabril Peppers. But they ended up with the number four pick in the draft the next year. So he traded number 12 for number 22 and number four. So they didn't trade down. They traded up. So I know there was some luck in there that Sean Watson got hurt and everything. But, like, 
that's the kind of thing that happens that I think the the, the the main takeaway for a lot of Browns fans and that is like, oh, they passed on to Sean Watson. What a bunch of idiots. You turn the 12th pick into the 4th pick and the 22nd pick. That's math. That's just math. That was better. And they ended up with their quarterback anyway. So in Baker Mayfield. So, I mean, I just that's the kind of thing that there will be some people who will never forgive them for passing on to Sean Watson. But you just look at how they execute that, and that's why I wanted them, I wanted John Dorsey to trade the four pick and move down and keep that going. Every year you've got an extra first-round pick. You never end up being able to evaluate the Carson Wentz trade because you get an extra first-round pick in perpetuity. That was out there, and I get it. Denzel Ward, it's not who I would have picked. Seems like he might be a good pick. But like that kind of thinking, if you're open to it, you have to understand how event in the end that makes you better. And so that's I don't know what my third one would be, but I think that just kind of thinking um, is the kind of thing that set the Browns up to be where they are. Yeah, I think number three for me is the AJ McCarron. Um, Sashi died for our sins in that moment. Um, yep. It was amazing piece of work. I love the, the excuses of the email didn't send and everything else. Whatever right. he did to sabotage that was fantastic. And you hear all these sashi haters come at you all the time. Oh, it was in his contract. He had 100% sign-off on every player transaction. And that AJ McCarron deal just proves that no such thing existed. Um, right. Number two for me is the idea of tanking. The idea that going 5-11 and 11 every year is a success because eventually you'll get better of going, no, let's kill it, rip it down. And move forward because when you build up and then eventually you put that QB at the end, that's when you have a Super Bowl window. And years right. two to five of Baker is the best chance we'll ever get of winning the Super Bowl. Whether we actually win it is a whole other factor, but we've got a chance. And I'm just going to link them all in. The Carson Wentz trade, the, um, the Deshaun Watson trade, whether it was trading a fourth round for a punter or turning Cam Irving into... Jannard Avery, um, right. the whole idea of trading back, and I would prefer to be in a position where every year we have three first-round picks, two second-round picks, two third-round picks, a fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. And I think if we'd have started trading back that fourth pick, I think Ward is a great pick, but I'd much rather have had the Bills' first round um, last year and their first round next year, which will probably be yep. the first overall pick in the draft, which you then trade out of again for two or three first-round picks. But if you just take all them picks, as I said, each year, over a four-year window, on average, that gives you 24 starters in the NFL. And if you constantly, every four years, add 24 starters without looking at your depth options and everything else, and players then on to a fifth-year option, suddenly you've got an insane talent base in your squad, and you're constantly trading away other players that don't make it but are really good. So you might pick up a third-round QB and then turn him into a first-round pick because someone wants them. Um, right. And then also you've got all the other talent that you then add and suddenly you're losing four players a year and getting back a third, a fourth, and two-fifths in the compensation formula. So really cheap players and going forward because I think that's what Sashi ideally wanted to do long-term. I think that fourth-round pick would have been traded. The number one pick was always going to be a quarterback. There seems to be this sort of myth that right. we'd have drafted a running back number one because a computer thought it might be a good idea. It's, it's, it sort of seems to be some nonsense idea. But uh, we've done the positive. 
and people think I only ever see light shining from uh, Sashi Brown. There was some negative, so I'll let you go first. What would you say was his three biggest mistakes? I think letting Mitchell Schwartz go um, in free agency right when he got hired um, wasn't great. Alex Mack uh, was going to go, but I think it, it seems like by all indications and by the reporting of like Mary Kay Cabot for us at Cleveland.com and everybody else, that got messed up. I chalked that up to like first-year general manager not handling that the right way, and nobody's perfect. But I think in an ideal world, that was a guy who, who would have been worth the money um, that, that it would have been required to keep him at right tackle. I think, um, I mean, obviously, I, 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 was, I liked the, the whole Carson Wentz thing that you just explained is great. I liked Michael Thomas. I mean, I, I understand you can't just go back and say, hey, there's a good player who was drafted later. Why did they take that good player earlier? I mean, that, that doesn't, that's not how it works. But in that moment, I thought Michael Thomas was going to be a star in the NFL, having covered him at Ohio State um, with his size, his professionalism, his, his desire to get better, his hands, his route running. He would have been a better pick than Corey Coleman, who was much more raw. <coughs> Excuse me. So, you know, it's easy to say that now that Michael Thomas is a star, but, but I think you could have seen that one coming, um, and, and I wish maybe they would have seen that. And then, uh, you know, the other thing, and I think Hugh Jackson had a lot to do with this, I was fine playing Deshaun Kaiser last year. Play a rookie, see what happens. You had to, you had to find out what you had. Um, watching the way this quarterback room has worked this year with, with Tyrod Taylor and Drew Stanton in there with Baker, um, I think it would have been nice in retrospect probably if they would have kept somebody around. So the quarterback room last year wasn't Kaiser, Kessler, Hogan, and people looking around saying, how are we supposed to do this job? So Brock Osweiler was never going to be that guy. That was just about buying a pick. Um, so, you know, but but if Hugh Jackson's a quarterback guru, then you figure, well, Hugh will take care of this. Or maybe Hugh should have been, you know, the guy who figured out that room. So I think I think there's maybe some regret along that lines because you can see, I think John Dorsey, beyond Baker Mayfield, built a better quarterback room this year for sure than what they had last year. Uh, I definitely agree with that last one. It's sort of, that was my point four of do I put the quarterback room in there because it was a mistake. Um, I personally would have preferred Bridgewater in this offseason than going for Tyrod Taylor. But the advantage is Tyrod Taylor is a uh, trade, whereas you risk-free agent and the Teddy deal might have been massive. Um, but, yeah, the quarterback room wasn't right. And trusting Hugh Jackson with anything is never a good idea, as uh, hindsight tells us. So my third mistake, if I'm ranking them, is taking a wide receiver in round one. So it's not so much Corey Coleman. I'm of the view that just don't draft any wide receivers in the first round. I think as a long-term cap hit, if they turn out to be sort of decent, then they're wanting 15 million plus. Whereas if you draft a tight end in the first round and they turn out to be awesome, they want 8 million. And I'd much rather have a tight end ripping up the uh, NFL than have a wide receiver on twice the amount. So I'd never touch a wide receiver in round one, but that's just me. Number two, I thought an error was, he listened to the coaches too much, in my eyes. He seemed to be drafting to please Hugh, please coordinators. Um, while I understand he does need to listen to some of the other people in the building, I'd much rather he spoke more to Andrew Berry and a few others than listening to 
what the Haslam's and the coaching staff wanted because when they're going, we really want Deshaun Kaiser and we think we can turn him into something. I think if they'd have lent more on analytics, they'd have just gone, no, you don't draft someone like that. So I don't know how in on the Kaiser pick he was. One thing we'll find out. But number one, and I know Paul's going to agree with this because he absolutely hates the guy, is the Kenny Britt deal. Um, oh, yeah. Kenny Britt, he hates London. It's mutual. We don't like him. And uh, no, it was just it was a nightmare. And I understand you could have had uh, Pryor should have stayed, but he ran around trying to chase some money, came back begging for a deal, but we'd already unfortunately given it to Kenny Britt. And now Terrell Pryor, yeah, who knows what's going to happen with him too. Yeah, that was a bad for for both the Browns and Pryor. Mm. That was bad that that didn't get worked out. That's a good point. Yeah, he could have signed that deal, and he might have stayed and became something because it was obviously right. working for him at times in that offense. And then as soon as he left, it all went downhill. Yep. Jack, talking about wide receivers, how do you feel about Odell Beckham's huge contract? Five years, ninety-five million. I thought it was a lot less than he'd get. Uh, I was quite surprised, in all honesty. Um, and I don't know if it's because they've just whacked up the guarantees. He's willing to take a smaller deal, a bit like what the uh, Vikings did with Cousins. Um, Personally, I don't ever really want a player that is that good that they take the money. And I think when Garrett comes up for renewal, it's it's going to be hard because if you give that much money to someone and you potentially have a quarterback taking 10% as well, suddenly sort of 20% of your salary cap's gone on two players and you've got another 51 you've got a sign plus a practice squad plus anyone that's going on injury reserve. So I'd much rather steer away from having one or two big players. I think if you look at the teams that have had constant success and been to the playoffs year on year on year, they haven't had a massive commitment to one or two players. They've had a big commitment to sort of five to ten. So I'd say spread the wealth and build the depth because say he gets another injury like last year, OBJ, suddenly your team's left without their star player and they're not going anywhere. Uh, That's just me. What do you think about that, Doug? Uh... I don't know. I'll agree with you. I think that I think that makes sense. But I think part of the point you're making there too is, and you mentioned that with Baker. That's why this window coming up. It's funny. It's like I think, you know, Browns fans. You think, oh, we're you know the Browns are young. We're building whatever. It's like the window gets here more quickly than you realize because to have a quarterback, a starting quarterback, who is a Super Bowl level quarterback. And again, I'm not saying Baker Mayfield is that, but. If they're going to be that, he has to be that. They're hoping he's that. A Super Bowl quarterback on a rookie deal is the window, right? And so they have to – and that's another part of this that that if they would have taken Carson Wentz at the beginning of this, that first year in 2016, they still would have stunk for a couple years with Carson Wentz. And all of a sudden you've used two years of your quarterback window to stink. And now, all of a sudden, the window's getting smaller. Instead, they built the team. Now they have Baker Mayfield. And I think you make a good point. You want to win before Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield and all these guys come due and start sucking up all your space. And all of a sudden, you don't have the depth. You can't bring in some of these guys they brought in. You can't sign Jarvis Landry. Or you can't, you know, you can't do, you can't spend money on guards like Zeitler and Batonio the way Sashi did if you're paying Miles Garrett and Baker Mayfield 20% of the cap. So it's just a reminder when you have a, a contract like Beckham's, overall the reminder of windows 
and capitalizing on good young talent who's not getting paid yet, it is something for all football fans to constantly keep in mind. Uh, one quick question for you guys, put you on the spot. With Sashi Brown, do you think he drafted well or bad? Personally, I think it's far too early to say. Um, with sort of hit rates being quite low, surprisingly, in the NFL um, outside of sort of the first round, I would say I think it's okay. I think it's just average. If you look at a lot of sort of what Bill Belichick's gone and done in the last four or five years, it's not he's not actually that good at drafting. But he goes with sort of over his time the same logic Sashi had. It's a pure gamble. Get as many darts as you can. And um, I think it's one of them things, once we get sort of year four of Sashi's last draft, that's when we'll be able to sit down and go, was it good, was it bad? Are these players still in the NFL? Because people like Kindred and that have gone out to deliver. And people don't like it, but he needs to be credited for the Miles Garrett pick. Miles Garrett was only a Brown because Sashi went out and built the roster in such a way that we got the first pick. Um, but the talent's there, and credit him with Baker as well. Let's see. If Baker and Miles Garrett become two of the best players to ever play the NFL, Sashi's won us that. So. Doug, your view? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's right. It is one of those things you can't you can't say that like tanking is stupid and tanking's no big deal and you don't get credit for tanking and then also say like, well, of course he picked Miles Garrett. Like somewhere in there is credit, right? One way or the other. Um, clearly, the the Corey Coleman pick you wish you had back. Ogba looks pretty good. Schobert looks pretty good. Um, Sean Coleman looks like a miss, right? Kaiser, it's hard. I, I was fine with Kaiser as a value pick at 52. Take a shot there. A guy that at various points in the draft process was seen as maybe a first-rounder. And I think the thing that's easy to forget is he turned into Demarius Randall, right? Yeah. So it's not – they didn't – it wasn't completely lost, that pick. But, you know, you take a shot on a second-rounder and it doesn't work out. Dorsey did a good job to turn that into something. Um, I think it. I think it's fine. I think it's good. Nobody's perfect, but I, I do think you could have kept Sashi Brown, and that he would have done fine in this draft. You know, the the, thing, the point that you made. I think it would have been fascinating to let Sashi Brown be here for five, six, seven years to see how he could keep turning picks into picks. But I think the record of the players he took is fine. It's not great. The Coleman miss is a miss. It's not perfect, but let's go through the previous two drafts and find find perfect drafts. I mean, there are misses all over the place, and so you know, I, I don't think it was bad enough. I don't think his talent evaluation and the picks themselves were bad enough to say we've got to fire this guy. He misses all the time. I certainly don't think that idea is true at all. Yeah, and sort of the fascinating thing looking at draft booms and draft busts. If you look at two years ago, the 2017 draft, the Saints had an absolute worldie with their draft, drafting the rookie player of the year on offense and defense. And then this right. year, they've gone and traded up for a ridiculous pick to get a pass rusher, this, a development guy that might not even make it to the highest level. And then you look at the Seahawks, they had sort of three years of great drafts, and then they've had three years of not particularly great drafts. So it's a very much, it's a luck. It's calculated luck, and no one's great at it, and not many people are bad at it. He's just average, Sashi. And that's fine. If you're getting twice as many picks as everyone else, 
your average draft's going to look better overall. And that's the best way to be. Right. Right. I agree. Moving on, uh, Doug, how many uh, total wins do you think uh, the Browns will get this season? So I want to do a piece. Um, there was uh, someone on Twitter said this the other day. I thought it was really an interesting way to look at it. He sort of went through, you start, you know, start last year with zero wins, and you start doing your own math of, well, I'm going to give them three wins because they probably should have had three last year anyway, right? So that's three. I'm going to give them three more because the quarterback situation is so much more competent than a year ago. Whether it's Taylor or Mayfield, they're going to be so much better than Kaiser, who was throwing picks everywhere. That's going to be a jump. Uh, if Miles Garrett, assuming he's healthy for a whole year and better in year two, I'm going to add a win for that. You know, you can go through and find all these different ways. A receiver core of Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, Rashard Higgins, Antonio Callaway is going to be much better than what they had last year, led by Kenny Britt and a bunch of guys who drop passes all the time. You can go through and find so many spots to think, yeah, add a win there, add a win here. And then I think you get your formula, and then you have to decide how many wins do you subtract because Hugh Jackson is the head coach. Mm -hmm. Do you subtract one, two, three, four? So I haven't done it myself. I'm going to do that exercise and have fans do that exercise. My guess is that I think you can find enough pluses off 0-16 to tell yourself why they might be 8-8, eight and eight, and then you have to do your Hugh subtraction. So I think your Hugh subtraction number is somewhere between 2 and 4. So if you're at 8-8, eight and eight, then I think I'm somewhere between 4-12 and 12 and 6-10 and 10 based on the head coach. So I haven't done it yet. I think I'm going to predict him to go 5-11. and 11. I know the Vegas line was 5.5 and, and then moved to 6. I would take the under on 6. But if Hugh surprises me or if Todd Haley is just so much better running the offense and Hugh doesn't get in the way or Greg Williams has improved in the way he uses guys this year, I think 8-8 eight and eight is out there in a perfect world. I just have huge doubts about whether Hugh Jackson – could oversee a perfect world. So I'm at 5-11, and 11, I think. That's the same as you, Jack. Yeah, same as me. I sort of calculated the same way of looking. I sort of looked at the team just separately and went, I reckon they're about 8-8. Eight and eight. And then a mixture of, it's a really hard schedule, so I was thinking one to two off. And then I was thinking sort of taking one and a half off for that. Hugh Jackson, I'd have taken a straight three off, but I don't think he makes the full season. And lots more of our wins are going to come in the last six games and the first six games. So I thought, let's take off another one and a half. And that's why I came up at five and 11. And I think potentially, though, if you we lose the first three, we get rid of him. We move over to Baker, bring in Tyrod. I think we might have a better than five and 11 season just because there's this nice run of games after the bye. Six games in there. And uh, there's some real potential. So I think if he goes early and we go 0 and 3... I'm going to raise my prediction to potentially six wins. It, it is interesting because I think it's you've got to try to figure out in there when might he make a move. I think Hugh's going to stick with Tyrod as long as they have a shot at a decent year. So like the like by your thinking, Jack, it's almost like the better they are, the less chance they have of getting better. Yeah. 
Because if they stink, if they're two and eight, and and John Dorsey just is like, you know, it's over. Play Baker. You got to play the kid. It's over. Then maybe you get on a run end of the year. But if they're five and five, there's no way they're making a quarterback change. And then Baker sits the whole year, I think. So I think it's you've got to try to decipher this not knowing how the quarterback thing's going to go. I think the two are linked, though. I think the moment we see Hugh Sacked and Haley take over, I think it's the same time you're going to see um, Tyrod benched and Baker coming in. Um, and I think our defence has got potential to be a top de- 10 defence, and that's the only way that Tyrod wins. Um, will we get there straight away? Who knows? Dog, how many uh, quarters do you see uh, Mayfield playing for? Uh, you guys are frozen. Oh, oh we've, sorry. We've got you back. Uh, Doug, how many full quarters do you see Mayfield uh, playing this season? I, I'm, you're breaking up big time and the screen is frozen. Let's just take the screen off. Take the screen off. Mm. Hi, Doug. Can you hear us now? I can. Okay, we'll we, we, uh, we go again. How many full quarters do you see Mayfield playing this season? Oh, boy. Maybe 16. I mean, I just think they're going to be good enough to hang on for a while. Hugh's going to be reluctant, so maybe maybe like the last four games. Um, I, I, just, I just think he's going to be really slow on the draw with it because I think he's, you know, if you just had a coach who was thinking about what's best for the Browns, I don't think Hugh Jackson is thinking about what's best for the Browns only. I think partially yes, but I think he's trying to figure out how to keep his job. And so I think he's going to hang hang on to Tyrod Taylor maybe longer than he should. So I'll, I'll say 16 quarters, basically Mayfield getting in for the last month of the year. And I don't think – here's the thing. If he wants to hang on to Tyrod, I don't think he wants Baker in the game. Because if, if they're in a blowout and he wants to give Baker the fourth quarter or something of a game, if Baker looks good, that only complicates Hugh Jackson's life. So if he wants to play Tyrod – He's got a high Baker because then the last thing he wants is everyone clamoring even more for Baker. So I'll just say the last four games. Yeah. Hughes in a, in a tough uh, position there. How many games do you think he'll survive? I, I will be very surprised if he – I'm sure he makes it through the year because there's just no point. You, they, the Haslams have committed to him. I do. If I had to guess right now, I do not think he will be the head coach in 2019. So I think he has 16 games left as the Browns coach. But but if you keep him at 1-31, and 31, I don't know what the scenario is that you fire him in the middle of this year. Because if you fire, if they start 0-4 and, and you fire him, then you're admitting that you were stupid for keeping him to begin with. So I think he's here for the rest of this season. Yeah, I feel that as well. I feel the uh, Haslam's want consistency. And uh, yeah, he, he will see out the season. Jack, what do you feel about that? I think if it goes 0-3, I think there's strong enough voices that Haley and um, Williams will be moaning to Dorsey and Dorsey will just go, no, this wasn't my guy. We gave him a shot out the door. Haley's ready-made coach, so you're not really looking outside for someone. Haley just steps in as sort of offensive coordinator and head coach and they just roll with it. Um, so I think it wouldn't surprise me if they make the early move because it's probably Dorsey wants it so he can turn around to Haslam and go, You've always hired the head coach. It's not working. Let me do it. And uh, even though he's not got a 
track record of hiring head coaches. I trust John Dorsey more to hire our next head coach than I do Jimmy Haslam. Yeah, I, I think there's a window for that. I, I, it wouldn't be my prediction, but I think there's a window for that. Jack, do you trust Dorsey more than Sashi Brown picking your next uh, head coach? Um, neither's done it, so it's quite hard to judge either way. Uh, it depends what you wanted them for. If you if you want a head coach to work with Sashi, you want Sashi to hire them. If you want a head coach to work with Dorsey, you want Dorsey hiring them. So you need that relationship. So like the Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson stuff works really well with the Eagles because they both support the ideas of analytics and they're both willing to embrace it. Whether going on fourth down is an analytics-driven decision, whereas Hugh Jackson is there going, the first time I've ever used analytics was when we decided whether we should be playing players in pre-season so they don't get injured. It's just, he's a bit of a caveman when it comes to sort of sensible thinking. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. The, the way the structure is, I, I don't know if, I don't know that John Dorsey will be hiring the next coach. You know, I think Jimmy Haslam will be hiring the next coach. So obviously, John Dorsey's in place, he would have influence, but but the way this is structured with Jimmy Haslam's system, the head coach does not report to the GM. They both report to Haslam. So, if we get to that point, I will be very, very curious to see how that goes because um, John Dorsey might want one of his guys, and, and, and I don't know I don't know if that's how it would go down. Doug, what do you uh, feel when you see uh, uh, Hugh Jackson dressing up like Dorsey? Um, yeah, what's your first uh, impressions when you saw that? I mean, I get it. It's a joke. It's cute. But, I mean, I think Hugh is so desperate to show that He's on the same page as the GM after two years of of Sashi and Hugh fighting constantly and trying to win over Jimmy Haslam separately. Um, I think it's I think it's an obvious ploy that uh, Hugh Jackson I think is very invested in making it look like he and John Dorsey are on the same page, and Hugh at every every turn um, makes that point as often as he can, and. You know, I don't have any information that they're not on the same page, but um, it, it, it is. I think it is Hugh just trying to trying to send a message that necessarily might not be true. Okay. And uh, last last question for you: What's your very 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 hot take for the Browns this season? Uh, my very 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 hot take is. Um, let me think. It's going to be super hot. How about uh, how about the uh, this is I, I don't how about the run game doesn't matter. That I know after the first preseason game, people were all wound up about they couldn't run, and so they tried really hard to run it in, in week two. Um, they signed Carlos Hyde. They spent a second round pick on Nick Chubb, and I I don't care. Like I want him to throw it to Duke Johnson. It's all about the quarterback. I want him to throw it to Gordon and Landry and Higgins and Njoku. And I just don't think in the end how they run the ball is going to have that great of an effect on whether they win or not. It's going to be about defense first and then competent quarterback play. And then that is absolutely that's going to what's going to determine it. And whether it's Chubb or Hyde or whatever sort of doesn't matter to me. It's just... It's pure gold, Doug, because as the guys from PFF and everyone's proved, it's all about passing offense versus passing defense. Run defense and run offense. 
just doesn't matter. And if you look at the most important factor for having a good run offence, it's nothing to do with the running back. It's to do with the offensive line of the only sort of metric to measure how good a run game is. So 100% agree with you there. And it's why I was just banging my head when I saw that we'd uh, drafted Chubb in the second round. He's fantastic talent, don't get me wrong, but there's much more important players. I'd much rather have picked up another guard because there's a lack of depth there. And um, it would have been a better move forward. Get your running backs on day three or your receiving backs like a Duke Johnson. It's a great third round pick because they're more of a catcher than they are uh, running on the ground. Yeah, I think you could have even gone another cornerback there, another young corner to pair with Denzel Ward. I do think there were options there that, uh, that whatever, I get it, Chubb is fine. But um, in terms of value, I think there were I think there were other ways you could have gone. And again, not that, I mean, we may as well end it on this. I don't think Sashi Brown would have made that pick. I just don't know that Sashi Brown would have taken a running back at that point in the draft when there were other players and other needs on the board. So doesn't mean it's right, but I, I think I agree with you, Jack, just on on how you put a team together and how you value positions. And um, in the end, the run game, it's just that's not what it's all about. Thank you very much for joining us, Doug. Let us know where your Twitter is, where people can go get takes by the lakes, and everything else that you do. So you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Lamarice, D-O-U-G-L-E-S. M-E-R-I-S-E-S, -S, Less Me Rises. That's how it's spelled. It's Lamarice. Uh, read me at cleveland.com. Um, Takes by the Lake you can find on iTunes and anywhere else you get podcasts. That's a podcast I do once a week. It's usually about the Browns, but it's about anything in Cleveland sports. Um, this week it's actually going to be about the Indians. I have an Indians guest lined up. Uh, and I also do an Ohio State football podcast called uh, Buckeye Talk. You can also find it on iTunes. And... If you go to our Cleveland.com YouTube page, we have started a Cleveland sports talk show. It's like a late night talk show. We write jokes. I do a monologue. We have a band. Um, we have a couple guests. They come sit on a couch and talk about life. So that's called Cleveland Sports Tonight. We've done two episodes, and we're going to keep that up. So if you're looking for a Cleveland sports talk show, it's the only one out there that's like a late night show. So go find that. Uh, make sure if you download Takes by the Lakes don't just wait for the next episode go back and listen to the last two you had a fantastic one on recently with Brendan Leister doing the defence which was fascinating and then before that you'd reached out for ideas of guests I'd ping you Zach Moore and then within a week Zach Moore was on your show so thank you very much for doing that it's a brilliant show so go back and listen to them too because they were absolutely cracking thanks for having me guys it was fun uh, thanks a lot, uh, Doug. You've really made Jack stay today. Glad to do it. I appreciate you guys following. And uh, I just think, I don't know how it's going to go, but I, I can almost guarantee it will be an interesting Brown season. And even if it's not good, interesting is progress. Thanks a lot, Doug. Go Brown. Change coming. There's change coming.